Welcome to episode two of the Film Illiterates podcast. Uh, I'm your host for today, Joe Campbell, and with me is uh, Nathan. Hey guys, what's up? And Alex. Hey everyone. And if you guys follow us on YouTube or anything like that, you will know who these guys are and who who we all are already. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> if, if you guys don't know me, I'm I'm the one with the hat. So just just know that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- typically, typically Nathan's been our been our camera operator, but he's been he's been in some videos and he's been on podcasts and stuff. He's around. And Alex, yeah. you know, if you watch if you watch film, the film literates show that we 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 done a lot of episodes on, you'll know mm-hmm. Alex. You've killed me quite a few times. Yeah, the dead one <laughs> and the undead one. <laughs> it's so much fun. It's so much more fun that way. Yeah, yeah. To just know that you know, no oh, matter yeah. what we do to you, um, you're, not, you're still going to come I'm back not complaining. to life. <laughs> Anyway, um, so this is our second episode. Um, another, yeah. We're we're still kind of kind of finding our ground here, but um, I I think we have this more or less figured out. So 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 basically, what this podcast is going to be about is uh, we're we're going to try to structure this around. Uh, we just love having conversations around movies. Mm-hmm. Um, we love promoting discussion about movies. I I believe that no matter how silly um, a movie may be, you can always find some interesting things to talk about with it. Thus, we have uh, Cinema Drone, where we talk about terrible B-movies, and Film Literature, where we talk about kind of lesser-known movies that pe- many people might not be as familiar with. So, following along with that, uh, this podcast is going to be centered around just talking about topics that might be related to uh, recent movies, um, popular trends in films, uh, basically everything shy of Actual film reviews. We'll save those for for the for the videos for right now. Uh, but we just we think it'd be really great to just kind of kind of shoot the breeze and talk about whatever we want to as far as movies go. Who knows? Who knows from week to week? It'll be something something interesting. Hopefully, if it isn't, then uh, we can make it interesting. You know, <laughs> we definitely <laughs> can. Yeah. Alex again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's that's the surefire way to make it interesting. <laughs> Um, so first half, uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna kind of kind of talk about some um, recent things that we've watched because I'm constantly watching movies and I can't stop. I have a problem, uh, so my only outlet is to force you guys to listen to me talk about what I watched, and mm-hmm. I'll give you guys the same uh, uh, courtesy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we get started, just a couple of things. Um, apologies if our audio cuts out. Um, I know last episode I was cutting out here and there. Uh, just uh, bear, keep in mind we're all in different locations as we're recording this online. Yeah. Um, and uh, my audio here where I live uh, especially really, really sucks. So uh, bear with us. We're working on it. Hopefully hopefully we'll have better luck this, this episode, which so far yeah. we have. Yeah, so if you'd like to donate to our fund of getting better <laughs> equipment for Joe, please click on this link at the bottom. You can go to our GoFundMe page, our Kickstarter page, and Indiegogo. Here, here, here is Nathan's personal home address, and you can mail him a check. <laughs> yes, and I'll give you the times that I'm there, so that way you can obviously just sneak in, and I'll leave the key underneath the mat, so, you know... <laughs> 
Um, also, uh, uh, how often are we going to be doing these? Because the last time we did an episode was uh, on the Oscars, which was a couple months ago, I think. It was back um, in January, uh, February, actually, yeah. Yeah. So, well. so, so, so we're going to try to keep these up a little bit more frequently. I think our, our goal right now is um, at, at least an episode every two weeks, but, you know, if we can get together sooner, we'll do them sooner or whatever. Yeah. You, you guys are getting this for free, yeah. so, so stop complaining. Yeah, <laughs> and, and if we run into any special events, anything uh, interesting going on, we'll try to cover that as, uh, as soon as possible. Exactly. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, because there's always something controversial going on in the film world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, finally, before we get started, I had to address the uh, low output of videos on the YouTube channel. I know I was listening to our last podcast, which was like two months ago, where we're talking about, oh yeah, I got more videos coming, and we like haven't posted anything since then. <laughs> um, basically, uh, uh, back when I lived in San Diego, it was a lot easier for us to get films out on a regular basis or videos out on a regular basis because we were kind of all in the same area. Uh, yeah. Since then, now I'm living up in Seattle. Uh, Alex, you, you and Nate are uh, down in San Diego still, but then Nick. Mm -hmm. Uh, who did several videos with us before in the past. Uh, he's living up in New York. So since we yeah. kind of split split up and we're all working full-time outside of this, it's a little bit tougher for us to kind of bring videos on a regular basis. Uh, that being yeah. said, I, I am working on it. I'm, I, I have a video that I'm editing right now. It's a new uh, Cinema Drum episode. And on top of that, to make sure that you guys have things to watch more frequently when, I, when I'm in the middle of editing those longer videos, um, I'm going to put up these podcasts as well as uh, film reviews. I'm going to start doing some film reviews. Uh, so my, my first one will probably be for Captain America Civil War, since that's coming up in the next week. Uh, uh, Joe, actually, we should probably both do that again, as well as with Alex, just because um, I, I definitely will be checking it out this weekend as well. So That'd be great, I, yeah. I feel like that's something definitely we can talk about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, so, uh, yeah, apologies for um, the, the, the low output. Uh, we're working on it, and uh, hopefully this will lead to more things. And that's almost exactly what I said at our last podcast. So. But, Joe, Joe, I think <laughs> you, you seem to be apologizing a lot to our audience. And, and the number one rule of a filmmaker is you never apologize for your work. <laughs> all right, so screw you all for subscribing <laughs> to us, and I hope you don't listen to us or watch us. <laughs> That's While terrible. Joe drinks his uh, no. champagne glass over there, the clinking. Yeah. <laughs> I've got an empty Guinness can, so I'm good. There you go. See, still keeping the film, uh, film lettered spirit alive, you know? Always have a beer. Exactly. There we go. Anyway, that's it. Without any further ado, let's let's dive into let's dive into this this sucker. Um, so I guess I'll get it started with uh, what I've some movies that I've watched recently. Um, I've been working through the Marvel Cinematic Universe, getting ready for Captain America's Civil War, but I'm not going to talk about that because I'm sure that'll come up in our uh, our main conversation. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, our, our our main topic today, we're going to talk about shared universes with Captain America Civil War coming out this week. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll get to that. But first, what we what we watched recently, and uh, so in addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I watched a um, <laughs> an Indian movie from the 50s called uh, Pather Panchali. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, uh, but it's it's a it's an it's known as kind of one of the one of the bigger early Indian films. I, from what I understand, is based on a on a children's book or a family book or something like that. Um, way back when, at some point, basically it's like it's like a smaller Indian art film, which is interesting because I'm not really familiar with Indian cinema. 
uh, other than just kind of the modern perception of, of Bollywood as it is today. I didn't really know anything about the history of Indian cinema. And this is kind of like a little, almost a, a, a neo-realistic kind of a slice of life film following this little kid as he's growing up in this life of poverty in India. And it balances the tragedy of his family's life and his mom's trying to raise him and his dad's a little bit of a deadbeat and he's gone all the time trying to find work. And he has this bigger sister, and so he's trying to find beauty in the little things in life. So, 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 it, so it balances, you know, finding the happiness in small things because you don't have a whole lot of money to work with, with kind of the the sad, depressing life they have there, just trying to find food from day to day. Uh, so it's a really, really interesting movie. I, I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, it's not a terribly feel-good movie, just based on the subject matter alone. <laughs> But there's a lot of really interesting things there, and it's very slow moving. It's very long. It's over two hours long. Uh, but if you're interested in kind of these slower art house films and you don't mind reading subtitles, it's well worth a watch. Yeah, so cool. That that sounds like a movie I'd I'd kind of get into. Yeah, you probably like about, it actually. Yeah, it's, it's, minus, it's, minus the subreading, like minus the subtitles, which I I mean I wouldn't really mind either way, but. Um, just those kind of like the slower moving or I don't know, artsy kind of films is usually what I dig. Yeah, same here. And uh, you know, India's—it's interesting. I've never heard that kind of side of India. Mostly, I, all I know is definitely Bollywood, or they make some really good action films. I'll have to admit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, well, that was the interesting thing about it because going into this again, I, I really had no idea what I was in for because I, I had no idea of uh, Indian cinema outside of the Bollywood that everyone's familiar with. And again, like, you know, like kind of like the corny action films they have too. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, it's really, this was a really interesting watch. It's, it's also, it's in the Criterion Collection also. I think there's a trilogy of films about this kid. Uh, it's called the Apu Trilogy. Um, so I'm really interested to check out the other two movies in the, in the trilogy now. Um, another one that I watched recently for the first time, surprisingly, was V for Vendetta, which I had never seen Wait, before. You, well, really? you've never seen that before. I'd never seen V for Vendetta. Yeah, I wow. just, it was just, just on Netflix, wow. and I figured, ah, what the heck, I better check it out, I guess. Yeah. Dang. And All right, so what you think? I didn't like it very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing, and, and, and I, I've read a lot of reviews about it after the fact, and it sounds like I'd really enjoy the comic or graphic novel or whatever you want to call it, because I, I, I feel like the, the graphic novel from what I've heard, does a better job of trying to approach this story uh, from the standpoint of two different ideals versus each other, and you can see the pros and cons of each ideal. Um, because in the movie, it's, it's presented as, uh, you know, right-wing religious conservatism are like the big evil bad guys that are out to get everyone, and V is kind of this, this heroic vigilante who also happens to be a terrorist, but that's okay, because he's fighting even worse people than himself. Um, whereas from what I understand, the comic shows more of a, 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 an idea of fascism versus anarchy. That's the term that I keep on seeing when I hear people talking about the comic. And uh, V is shown as a terrorist uh, who has good meaning, but he is a terrible person nonetheless, uh, despite his ideals. Mm-hmm. So that is a much more interesting idea to me, whereas I feel like in this one, because they were trying to push a message and kind of their own agenda a lot more, it, it, it dumbed the story down to kind of just like good guys versus bad guys, 
whereas the good guys aren't really good guys, but the film is still trying to to turn them into heroes. Like, oh, goody, he's blowing up buildings and stuff. That's okay, because these are bad guys. Buildings he's blowing up. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. The comic sounds, the comic sounds really interesting to me. But I felt like the, uh, the, the, the movie dumbed down what could have been a really, really interesting, uh, idea. Um, um, Alex, have you seen the movie? Yeah, I saw it. Um, I mean, it was, it's years ago at this point. Um, haven't rewatched it in years as well. Um, but yeah, I can, I can, I can agree with what you're saying. Um, in that. It is pretty much just like a one-sided view in that V is V is good no matter what he's doing he he's doing it for a good purpose and I mean there, there, as far as I can recall there are points where it kind of shows that what he's doing may not ultimately ultimately be the best way of doing it mm-hmm. but still that he's like good intentions he's going for the good of the people and everyone against him is ultimately bad just no 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 other side to them they're just bad that's it yeah mm-hmm. um, yeah can't say as far as i know, what i know from the graphic novel i, I remember starting i started reading it never really got through it um that's something i definitely like to go back to but yeah i can imagine there'd be a, you know a bit more uh a bit more story a bit more you know thought out story arcs in the in the in the graphic novel than the film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful movie though, very very well made. I can't say I was bored at any at any point. So it's I I could just kudos to that to them and uh, Hugo Weaving just just killed it in the role. He was fantastic. That 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 and it, it, it's a testament to his acting ability when you don't see his face during the entire movie yet you feel like you know so much about this character. So uh, I good for, good <laughs> yeah. for them. Yeah. Uh, the last movie I want to talk about just briefly uh, is a movie called Moonwalkers. Which I'm not sure if this is on anybody's radar at all. I think it came out uh, earlier this year or last year. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a British movie. Um, I don't remember. It's a smaller independent film, um, starring oh, what's the name of the the guy who played Ron Weasley in Harry Potter? I don't remember his. I don't remember his name. Man, I, I just watched this <laughs> oh, movie. Oh, Ron too. Weasley's in it. Okay, he's yeah. a ginger. Ginger yeah. guy, <laughs> and uh, and Ron Perlman is in this movie too. Uh, basically, it's it's a it's a movie set in the '60s, um, about uh the CIA wants to hire Stanley Kubrick to shoot a fake moon landing in case the real moon landing doesn't pan out, and so the CIA sends Ron Perlman to England to meet up with with Stanley Kubrick, and uh, hijinks ensue, and he doesn't he doesn't actually meet Stanley Kubrick. But he meets some guy who's pretending to be Stanley Kubrick, and they're trying to make a whole bunch of money off of this huge scam. And uh, okay. it's really, it's really entertaining. Uh, very, it's, it's it's one of those R-rated comedies, that's kind of full, full of like, you know profane, vulgar humor, but it's well written at the same time, so it's actually really funny at times. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's how you mentioned that. Uh, it kind of reminds me of um, there's a, another movie that was kind of like that that has John Malkovich in it. But it's like recent. It was like more recent, like after Kubrick died in 1999, and um, this guy was trying to basically con people and saying he was Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Um, it was yeah, yeah. So Color Me Kubrick was the name of that movie. I saw that yeah, one too. Kubrick, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. Kubrick's always been a a subject of con men. I guess they find <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, but but this this one was really funny because the focus isn't so much on the fact that they're pretending to be Kubrick because that that whole thing is is kind of uh, uh, 
put out in the open within within uh, by, 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 by the halfway point because the film is not about the guy pretending to be Kubrick. The film is about kind of this this spy thriller, this espionage thriller that just involves a CIA agent who with PTSD from Vietnam and a couple of dumbos who think that they're brilliant scam artists. And so this guy is chasing them down the whole time and. Uh, so that's like the first half of the movie, and the second half of the film kind of kind of turns more and devolves a little bit into kind of more of a uh, faux sci-fi raunchy comedy. And at that point, the film started to, started started to drag a little bit and lose focus, and it and it kind of indulged more in the raunchy humor, whereas in the first half it used that humor in aid of the story. Uh, but then by by the end, it picks up again, and it's 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 just. All, it's not a perfect movie, but all around it works really, really well. So I, I definitely recommend checking that one out if you can. If you're a fan of uh, R-rated comedies and you like British comedy, you'll probably like Moonwalkers. And it's, it's on Netflix right now as of this recording. Yeah, I'll definitely so, check it out. That sounds great. So that's what I watched recently. Okay, so uh, just recently I've been kind of going on a binge of um, not really seen uh, that many uh, like uh, old like films or even just art house films, but a lot of films I remember growing up when I was a kid. You know like how when you're a kid and your parents expose you to some very interesting animated films or films that get passed off as like kids films but they have those one or two scenes that you kind of look back on and you're like was this okay or not? Um, kind of like an example of that would have been like Watership Down like everyone thought oh it's a cute movie about rabbits um, and then, you, and then you get those, yeah, you get those kinds of scenes and that kind of scarring. But no, I, I kind of remember like growing up on watching some of these other films. Um, one I was like revisiting was uh, the Brave Little Toaster, and I keep forgetting how dark that movie gets at times and depressing. And yeah, it really does. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And especially at the end, uh, a guy almost gets killed in a garbage smasher, and I'm like. Okay, yeah, for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was revisiting that, and um, you know, uh, just kind of like looking at some other ones. Uh, more recently, um, I was able to check out the new uh, Jungle Book movie from Disney. Oh, I know that too. That, that's a beautiful movie, dude. Yeah. yeah, it was really, really good. I was surprised of all the, like the more like live action modern adaptations that they're doing of their classic films. That one is probably the best. Um, as yeah. far as just yeah, well, as far as like just adapting like the original content, but also taking stuff from the original Red Yard Kipling books and putting it in as well is something I just felt oh thank you I've wanted to see this for a long time. Well, that's, that's something that surprised me is because I I have I haven't read the Red Yard Kipling books, uh, but I've seen obviously the the animated Disney film, and. The, the the reverence with which they treated some of the animals caught me by mm-hmm. surprise, but it was very it's a very welcome surprise. Uh, for instance, yeah. the, the elephants um, uh, versus in the the animated film they're very cartoony and bombastic. Like drill sergeants and, and just like yeah. soldiers, but no, yeah, in the book they are treated as they expect to be treated as deities because, um, as as Bagheera kind of puts it, you know they're the ones who've paved the the way through the forest with their tusks, so they demand your respect and honor when you come to them, bow to them. And I yeah. love that was actually, I remember that being in the book actually. Um, and that's something I was like, Oh, I am so glad they put this in. Um, and even just like the, the brotherhood amongst the wolf pack as well. That's something that was in it as well. That never was really in the animated film. Um, 
because, you know, they really just glossed over that. But that was something that was crucial. And uh, I'm glad that, you know, they, they, uh, they came back to that um, just because, you know, and it was, and also the kid who played Mowgli was actually surprisingly good. Um, I was very impressed with his acting. I had my doubts, but I was like, oh, this kid's good. Was Especially this his first like, movie? It was, and he's, and also just dealing with like animals that are not there. He, pretty much everything was shot in a green room or like a blue screen room. Like everything was shot in L.A., and he's just like trying to interact with all these animals that are not there. And I'm like, he made it believable. So that's yeah. crazy. That's 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 really tough for your first uh, your first time out. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then uh, just also recently, um, something Alex and I just watched last night was uh, yes. The Man from UNCLE, um, mm-hmm. which is, it was, it's an entertaining spy movie. Um, it's not my favorite Guy Ritchie movie. Um, I think uh, he's definitely done better work. And I don't know, there's something, it, it's, it's fun, the writing's fun, um, there's some stuff that's fun in it. Um, for some reason, the cast didn't work for me. I don't know why. Um, and I think for a Guy Ritchie movie to work, there needs to be that chemistry with the ensemble. And, you know, there's a bunch of, like, gorgeous people playing the, you know, the roles of the spies and the villains, but I'm like, I didn't feel the chemistry amongst everybody. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to see The Man from Uncle yet, and at this point, I've, it'll probably be a long time until I actually check it out unless it shows up on Netflix or, some, or something like that. Because it was somewhat interesting, but it didn't, didn't really catch my interest as enough to seek it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other than that, that's what I watched. Cool. How about you, Alex? You have a chance to see anything this, uh, in the past few weeks? Um, well, um, Man from Uncle, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, I also re- just watched uh, last night as well. I watched Age of Ultron kind of in preparation for the podcast. Uh, that's definitely something I'll get about, get into later on in the podcast as we talk more about the shared universes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as recent films, I've really only seen Man from Uncle. Um, I like Nate was saying, I, it's it's a good spy movie. It's fine. Not the best Guy Ritchie movie. I mean, I would take, you know, any of the Sherlock Holmes movies, Snatch, even Rock and Roll over it. Um, though I did like, I felt like the the cast had decent chemistry. I, I mean, just the jokes between between uh, you know the American agent and the Russian agent, I thought worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the you know the 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 woman in the, in the film, I, I thought that all three of them worked pretty well together. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as uh, I, I like to watch Guy Ritchie's movies because he has a very specific set of style, and there are several scenes, you know, in, in a lot of his, you know, more famous movies, where it shows like these, you know, really great sequences. They have a bit of that in The Man from Uncle, um, but it seems that the film is less. Um, it's it's less like Guy Ritchie had control over it, and it was more just kind of like a studio telling him, you know, this is how we're going to shoot the movie. He does he does have, like, you know, his own, you know, unique take on it, no doubt. But um, it's not as, I guess, stylistic or, well, yeah, just it's not as stylistic as some of the other previous movies. It's, it's a little bit more... Um, more I, I guess, I guess, it's, it's more restrained, yeah. if anything, yeah. Exactly. It's a little bit more accessible to people who aren't really, like, big fans of his style or anything like mm-hmm. that or just not familiar with it, you know. Um, I mean, it kind of reminds me in a way. Yeah, it kind of reminds me in a way like a lot of David Fincher movies recently. Like they're much more mainstream, mm-hmm. but the style of his movies, you know, 
feel restrained compared to like his earlier work where he was really pushing the bar. Um, yeah. So kind of similar. Yeah. Well, here's a question for you yeah. guys. Do, do you, um, um, Guy, Guy Ritchie is an interesting director because he started out with these these smaller, more personal kind of action films where you, where you feel like he really developed his style, and he's brought his style into these mainstream American action films. Do you mm-hmm. think we'll ever see him at any point go back to doing stuff like Snatch and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and uh, any of that kind of stuff? Because right now, I mean, ever since he's done uh, Sherlock Holmes, it feels like he's he he's been applying his style to these more mainstream films as opposed to doing something like like John Favreau for instance who will do you know an Iron Man and Jungle Book but then he'll go back and do something like Chef every once in a while yeah you know um, I think it I think it would definitely be possible um I wouldn't be surprised to hear if he if he was doing something like that right now or maybe next after his like kind of his next bigger studio film mm-hmm. um but yeah, I mean, I'd love to see him go back to and doing like a small, like, you know, heist or caper movie. That'd be great. Yeah. I think if anything, it, uh, something like that definitely always guarantees on the success of a studio picture. Like if you look at John Favreau, yeah, he has the clout to actually kind of go back and forth between being an indie filmmaker and a studio filmmaker because let's face it, ever since Elf, all of his films have been, you know, box office successes. So. The studios give him that kind of leeway. Whereas with Man of Uncle, I think it bombed at the box office. So I don't know if that's yeah, going to hurt. It didn't, it didn't do too well like at all. Credibility, yeah. So I don't know if he'll be able to have that kind of luxury to go back and forth. He might, but unless 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 this forces him forces him back into that. I mean, I mean again, yeah. the studio if the studios aren't going to want to trust him with his as big budget of films because of the Man from Uncle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might put him in a position where he might go back to doing those those smaller films that he used to do beforehand anyway, just because that's that's all he'll have the budget for. Yeah. It's a good point, I guess, yeah. We'll see. We will in see. Case, in any case, he's a fantastic director, and I, I, I'd love to see more from him. I, I, I enjoy the these bigger movies that he's doing. Um, I'd just be kind of curious to see if he was given more creative freedom to do a project that he had more control over. Um mm-hmm. It'd just be nice to see that every once in a while. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, so moving on to our main our main topic uh, with uh, Captain America: Civil War coming out this weekend. I'm super psyched. I'm planning on going to go see that at a drive-in. Actually, one of the few drive-ins left around here in uh, Western Washington. So I'm I'm pretty psyched for that. Yeah. I mean, from everything cool. that like critics have been saying about this movie so far, they're saying probably it's one of the most cinematic and just very well-written, like, adventure movies that exist out there right now, which gets me really excited because if this can top Age of Ultron, you know, I'm, I'll just be very impressed with the Russo brothers just because since the Winter Soldier, they have proven themselves, like, they care really much about, you know, these these characters as well as the Marvel Universe, and they're making it work really well. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well... Well then, um, um, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I've been watching or going through the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe just kind of in preparation for this because I, I haven't really gone through all the films just kind of one right after another in a really long time. Um, so I've been working through that. I'm currently up to, as the recording of this, I'm, I'm up to uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I just finished this morning, actually. And uh, so I got, like, what, three films left, if I want to count Guardians of the Galaxy, which I'm still debating whether or not I'll, I'll watch it this time around. I, I, I love the movie. It's just, it just really has no bearing on the Civil War. But mm-hmm. that that begs the question, um, 
uh, what's the deal with shared universes? Uh, because they're, they're becoming constantly more and more popular right now because Marvel's done it so well, and they've and they, they they made a lot of money off of this, and so other studios are starting to look at their properties and think, well, okay, what 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 can we do? What what property do we have that we can turn this into this massive uh, universal empire sort of thing as well? And that got me to thinking about, well, what what has made successful cinematic universes before? Because Marvel hasn't been the first people to do this. Other studios have done this before in the past, mm-hmm. but Marvel's the first one to really take credit for it and make it their own. So I just kind of want to see what, what has Marvel done that other studios haven't hit on in the past? Have we seen it done successfully in the past? Which I, I think we have. I, think, I just think people haven't thought of it because it's been so long. Um, and just kind of what's what's the deal with these? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so, yeah, go ahead, Alex. Oh, I, I, I wasn't going to start. No, go, go for it. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, I was thinking back just like in the early days when you know superhero movies became a thing in Hollywood at just the you know the turn of the millennium when we had movies like uh you know Spider-Man coming out yeah where we had Spider-Man yeah. coming out and uh also just you know the first Fantastic Four movies and when Chris Nolan was doing his uh Batman Begins movie and looking back when Marvel was doing that now granted Spider-Man was not the property of Marvel at the time it was Sony had it and they're kind of like they had Sam Remy test the waters with that, but I'll have to admit, you know, Marvel made some mistakes in the in the beginning with its movies. They tried to make them standalone movies, and uh, I I kind of think all the time they've tried to make the shared universe work, but it wasn't until John Favreau, uh, who made Iron Man, that they they saw this is the template that works. Um, and I think ever since, I mean, you kind of also look at all the Marvel comics that exist out there, all the Avengers, it's, the, the shared universe kind of works in that medium. So I think it's always been Marvel's intention of trying to make the shared universe translate into films and on the big screen. Um, it's just now today, because they've made the mistakes, they've taken the this road, they've paved it, it's kind of like now they've owned it. They kind of like know what works, what doesn't, how are they all making this work and make everything sync. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that, you, you kind of said that the shared universe didn't really get started or didn't get realized really until John Favreau took over with Iron Man. But what, I mean, what Marvel movies kind of were before that that even tried a shared universe or even hinted at a, a sort of shared universe? I mean, to be honest, I, I think... Tell, there wasn't really any... I think maybe Sam Raimi was trying to do that with the Spider-Man um, franchise. Um, it's just, you know, I think after the third movie, it just was getting ridiculous. And, you know, putting three villains into one film and there not being a story. But I think, if anything, that's the key on why Marvel has done it right is because, let's face it, they didn't come out with an Avengers movie the, off the bat. They basically took their time. They, they took 10 years to make an Avengers movie. But, you know, for each character, you know, with Thor, Captain America, and even, you know, Tony Stark, and even the Hulk, actually. You know, Bruce um, um, Banner, basically, they had to reboot him until they got, you know, Mark Ruffalo to finally nail the character. But it, they, they had to kind of set up these characters so that everyone knew where they came from, what this universe was, what has happened to them before they could finally launch into an Avengers movie. And I think that's what yeah. did it right. So that when Josh Whedon finally did the Avengers movie, he had the characters. 
he just had to basically just put words in their mouth and let them go at it. Pretty much figure out how to utilize them all together. Yeah, and 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 Josh Whedon, he's key when it comes to just writing good characters and just having good scenes with characters. And they are already there. He just had to, you know, pen it. So um, I think that's just been the key of Marvel. Um, and I think that's, in my opinion, why DC is having a hard time doing it. Is well, because... you, well, you mentioned, Nathan, that, 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 uh, that, that Sam, Ra- Sam Raimi had tried building a shared uni- universe beforehand. And I guess that, that's part of what the bigger question is, is what makes a shared universe as opposed to just kind of a, a, a series of sequels? Yeah. Because, because Sam Raimi, he, he made three Spider-Man films, but he hadn't had any any attempts to try to cross them over into anything bigger. Exactly. Uh, the, clo- the closest he probably did was he, he hinted at a larger world. Uh, for instance, Dr. Connors, mm-hmm. uh, who's in all three movies, um, he's, or see, all, all three movies or, or just the second and the third one? Uh, uh, I, 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 I forget. Any, any, anyway, Dr. Connors is in that movie, which uh, in the comics he turns into the lizard because mm-hmm. he's, missing a hand, he's missing an arm and he tries to genetically... You know, spliced lizard DNA into him or something like that. But right. uh, in those movies, he's missing an arm, which is kind of a hint at bigger things to come. They just never followed through with that because the uh, one the franchise got cut short because of the unpopularity of Spider-Man Three, and two, I don't know that Sam Raimi ever had any intention of following through with that to begin with. I think he was just a comic nerd who loved putting in little hints to that. And it wasn't until uh, the if you're talking just Spider-Man. It wasn't until Amazing Spider-Man 2 that they started actually planning out this bigger world with the Sinister Six and trying to do the same thing that Marvel had already established with the Iron Man films. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I honestly wouldn't even say that the original Spider-Mans were... I wouldn't say that they hinted at a shared universe. I mean, as far as I know, all the villains in, that were featured in the films were Spider-Man villains. They weren't mm-hmm. like villains that any of the other Marvel characters were faced. I, you know, obviously I haven't read the comics, haven't read up on, on it much at all, so I can't say that for sure, but as far as I know, they only appeared in the Spider-Man movies, and there wasn't, they didn't hint at any other, like, any of the other Marvel characters jumping in, or, you know, any of the Avengers at all. Mm-hmm. It, it sounded like it wasn't really going for that, that shared universe, because, I mean, didn't, I mean, Sony only had Spider-Man, they didn't have the rest of Marvel, did they? They couldn't really no, no. have easily done that. Well, it, it's kind of hard because, uh, especially with uh, X-Men, um, those are still property of 20th Century Fox, I believe. So they're still trying to, you know, get the rights back for that. But, you know, Brian Singer, he when he made the first X-Men movie, I mean, I felt it was a great adaptation. Um, and he created a style for the X-Men so that, in a way, he branded it um, in a way that I think made it work for that franchise. And mm. I think in a way, that's what Marvel has done really well with all their movies, is that they have branded it. They've taken John Favreau's, you know, Iron Man movie, and that they kind of said, that's the brand that we want to do. That's how we want to brand ourselves uh, for all of our hero movies. And in a way, I think that's what makes them all work in the shared universe. But kind of going back to shared universes, they all have a bit of a, a continuity to it. They have a little bit of an element, you know, with the Infinity Stones, um, you know, Captain America being thawed again, um, and I'm kind of going off track but here. But, but here's a question: yeah. when, when, when does when does a film series just stop being a series and starts being a shared universe? Because okay, so Spider-Man one, two, and three aren't a shared universe. The, the, 
So just those a series, are, series of movies. Those are sequels, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, the X-Men films, X-Men 1, 2, and 3, those were all just sequels. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they, the X-Men franchise, I, wouldn't, I would argue it didn't become a shared universe until they started talking about these uh, standalone uh, Wolverine, you know, you know, the X-Men Origins Wolverine, and they were talking about doing a Magneto movie, which they didn't follow through with. Um, yeah. but, but, but I mean, I mean, that raises the question, is X-Men even considered a shared universe even at this point? Because they, they haven't really, I mean, with the, with, with the exception of the Wolverine movie, they haven't really done any spinoffs or introduced any new characters. Um, they're talking about doing that now, I know, with uh, the potential Gambit movie that they're trying to get off the ground. Yeah. But uh, up until this point, it's just been a series of sequels and prequels and sidequels into other universes and timelines. <laughs> um, and I'd argue that that, that, that X-Men hasn't quite – I mean, it's, I mean, it is an X-Men universe, but it doesn't quite feel like it's reached a shared universe in the same way that Marvel has. So right. at what I point mean, does I, a series I, a series and turn into a shared universe? I'd argue that – a series will turn into a shared universe when characters from from standalone films will appear in the same film. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you took you took Iron you know Iron Man started as its own standalone film. Then you had Captain America as, as the Captain America movies, Thor as you know Thor movies, and you then you brought them together as the Avengers. I feel like once you started pulling Captain America into Iron Man movies or into you know Iron Man into the Thor movies or what have you. At that point, I feel like th- at, at, at that point it's a shared universe. Yeah, and, and solidified it with Avengers when they yeah, brought them I, all together. And kind of to add on to what Alex is saying, that kind of interaction with these two standalone characters, that they've they in their own universes, whether they're like in America, whether they're in Europe, the idea that they both can like interact with you know, let's say you know Tony Stark does this one thing in Arabia. And that somehow affects, you know, what, you know, Captain America might do. It's like that kind of interaction is, I think, in a way, what makes the shared universe mm-hmm. possible. Let's go back a little bit into the history of shared universes. Sure. Um, um, because, like I said at the beginning, Mar- Marvel hasn't been the first people to do this uh, mm-hmm. successfully. Uh, yeah. Way back when um, Universal did this with a series of monster movies, and that from what I understand, didn't start off with the intention of being a shared universe of sorts. That was even before I think people even heard the term shared universe. But uh, you had the Dracula movie, you had Frankenstein, you had Bride of Frankenstein, um, you had the Wolfman. Yeah. And then at some point, these films started crossing over into one another. Um, I, I honestly haven't seen a whole lot of these universal monster movies, so I'm just kind of looking at a list of them right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at, at some point, you get... Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, and then you start having these monster mashes where they all start mixing in with each other and it's like that. But that, unlike Marvel, this started out as just individual movies that are meant to be standalones, and then someone had the idea, hey, let's go ahead and uh, mix them up a little bit, whereas Marvel's planned it out from the beginning. Um, so do the do, does that constitute as a shared universe for the Universal Monsters, or is that technically... A, a crossover because it kind of the, yeah. the line get, got a little muddled there. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I kind of agreed. Like, I think in the beginning when Universal was doing that with all their, you know, horror monster, you know, movie characters, it was kind of more of like a crossover. And, and with the intention of a crossover, it's kind of more of, I, I don't want to call it fan fiction just because back then the term didn't exist, but it was this whole possibility of, you know, they had an audience back then, you know, the 
the young teenagers and the 20-somethings who would take their girlfriends to and they wanted to get scared. It's like, well, what if the Wolfman met Frankenstein? I wonder how that would go down. And, you know, studios kind of saw that. It's like, well, let's bank on that. Let's uh, let's make that in a way it's on a gimmick. I, and maybe gimmick's the wrong word. But they just knew that was the entertainment value of those. And I, I don't think Marvel intends to be like that kind of a gimmick. It's 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 much more... Elaborate. It's much more complex. Well, no, I, and and I know that 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 Marvel's done this more successfully, obviously, um, oh, yeah. playing it out from the beginning as a shared as, as a shared universe. But technically, when you yeah. get Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, are they both technically in the same universe now? Couldn't you technically go back and say, well, the Wolfman existed that this whole this whole time when when you're watching this, this Dracula movie, because now you know that they all exist in the same the same universe, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess yeah. also. Um, I think, and I don't know, uh, Joe. Maybe you can correct me, but hasn't like the Wolfman like changed characters over the years? Like it started off as this one guy, and then it became another guy who apparently got bitten by a Wolfman, and he became a werewolf, and like that keeps changing. Like the monster itself mm-hmm. is, you know, the same, but the character, the person that it inhabits, is someone different. Same thing with like Dracula. You know, Dracula's character design and his backstory other than, you know, the actual Bram Stoker one, has changed all the time sometimes. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that constitutes as, like, you know, shared universe. More of like, a, I'd say more of like a crossover because it's the fictional character. Whereas, like, you know, some like, I, I don't want to go back into Marvel, but, you know, there's some characters who, they're definite. Like, you know, they do have a specific origin, a specific backstory. And, you know, that's what makes them in the same universe um, Have some tried to do their own shared universe thing, uh, but yeah. more is like a more is like, more is like is like a gimmick, like like you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, with with these kind of more blatant crossovers. Uh, for instance, Freddy versus Jason and Alien versus Predator. Um, yeah. I I haven't yeah. watched a whole lot of the Freddy or Jason films, Friday the Thirteenth uh, or Nightmare on Elm Street. I've seen a few of them in in, in each one. Um, I haven't seen Freddy mm-hmm. versus Jason, but from, from what I understand, those those series, both series don't have a very strong focus on keeping continuity or trying to continue a story. Yeah. They're just kind of, you know, pushing out a buck. We have a big name. Let's make another movie. And so you have yeah. uh, discrepancies between from film to film. Like, well, this guy said this in one movie, but this contradicts something that happens in this other movie. So that when you have exactly. Freddy versus Jason, it, it, it's, it's not so much we're bringing the universes together as much as it is, uh, oh, look what we're doing here. And this, yeah. a similar thing happened with Alien versus Predator, but the interesting thing yeah. about Alien vs. Predator is that mm-hmm. that film tried to tie it into the Alien franchise. Like, like it really, really tried. They brought back Lance Henriksen mm-hmm. uh, to play, I forget his, his name, someone Whalen, you know, as someone who created the Whalen yutani Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember that. And they tried really hard to be in canon with the Alien <laughs> films. And then they, I, I, when really Scott came along and did Prometheus, he pretty much just said, oh, no, screw that. I don't, I don't care about those Alien vs. Predator movies. I'm making this own thing, and it's contradicted that movie. And now Alien vs. Predator and uh, Alien versus Pre- Aliens vs. Predator Requiem is now just kind of considered fan fiction. It's no longer in Alien canon. It's just kind of this, this little side crossover thing that was kind of <laughs> fun to watch, but no one really gave a shit about. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, um, I'd, say, I'd say that, in the case of Alien vs. Predator, I think that falls more into, falls more into the crossover. Yeah, it's something that's not continued. 
something that's that's forgotten later on when they continued one of the series. And so that was like mostly just like a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You know, twice, whatever, because there's two of them. But as far as I'm concerned, that doesn't fall in the shared universe because, like I said, it, it's not continued in any of the other films. It's not continued in Prometheus. It's yeah. just a crossover that stands out as, as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which, which brings me to what, what, what I think is one of the biggest shared universes that we've seen to date – and I don't think anybody really thinks of as a shared universe anymore, uh, which is Star Trek is technically a, a a canonical bigger universe with these different series that uh, mm-hmm. plan to be within the same uh, storyline with, with with each other or, or or the same timeline, I guess, with with each other, because you mm-hmm. had the original Star Trek, which I mean, if we're being serious here, the the original Star Trek TV show was not trying to really do anything like that. Uh, they, they, they even admitted that the Star Days just had n- no meaning. They just kind of threw numbers out there, like, ah, it sounds like a cool number or whatever. <laughs> but, but once they started bringing out the movies and then uh, Star Trek The Next Generation TV show, that's when they started paying attention to, oh, we can have characters jump around in the timeline and have them visit each other, and all of a sudden uh, continuity became important. Now, granted, there are quite a few discrepancies in different... Star Trek uh, properties, because there's just going to be when you get a when you get a, an, an empire that massive as the as the Star Trek world, uh, there's going to be things that contradict each other because you can't have someone sitting there saying, well, no, this frequency of warp drive doesn't match what they said in this one episode of Star Trek. Know, yeah. mm-hmm. But it's interesting because that's up until Marvel came around, that that that's the biggest example that I could think of of a world that mm-hmm. or a franchise that tried to connect these different properties together and plan it out from the beginning. Uh, well, or, or, I mean, not, not from the beginning, but fairly early on. And they're still trying to continue that now. Even with J.J. Abrams, they didn't mm-hmm. just flat out reboot Star Trek. They, they, they retconned it with a time travel thing. And uh, even though J.J. Abrams' Star Trek has tons of contradictions to the original mm-hmm. series, they're still trying to keep it at least somewhat in the yeah. same universe. Is, but is that a shared universe, though? That's the question. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I don't, I don't think so because it's it's the same characters, you know, mm-hmm. more or less, um, and it's kind of in the same Star Trek universe. It's not pulling you know people and different characters from other series and from other standalone films into the newer Star Treks. As as far as I know, it's just Star Trek, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, it could take place during different times. It could, you know, the start dates don't matter. It can be full of continuity error, errors, whatever. But it's not like pulling something else, another, uh, not pulling other characters in, other storylines in mm-hmm. into the mix. It's following the uh, the characters and storylines of these specific people, and, and it's just more of it as a continuation mm-hmm. of uh, of the series rather than. Turning it into a shared universe. Yeah, it's 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 a universe. I don't think it's shared. No. Okay. Well, what if what if what if for instance, what if uh, uh um, was it Paramount owns the, the the movie rights to Star Trek right now? Mm-hmm. What if they approached Disney and they said, "Hey, we want to uh have Star Wars and Star Trek exist in the same thing," and so they had a movie that worked as Star Trek episode what 
13 at this point, I think, 13, 14, <laughs> and uh, Star Wars episode, uh, what, 9, 10, let's, say, just, let's just say down the road, would that mm -hmm. technically be a shared universe, or would that just be a crossover? Because we talked about how they brought Frey and Jason together, crossover, Alien, Predator together, crossover. Uh, Marvel has taken different characters in different timelines in the same universe, brought them together, and we've said that that's a shared universe. Star Trek's doing a similar thing with you have one Enterprise here, one Enterprise 200 years down the road, d different crews, different characters. Mm -hmm. Yet you're arguing that, that that's that's more just, just kind of a created universe and not a technically shared universe. So, so, so if they brought Star Wars into that, would that make it a shared universe to you, Alex, or would that be a, a crossover? If, if they started taking Star Trek characters and mixing them in with standalone Star Wars movies and did this, did you know, vice versa force, putting Star Trek characters in or Star Wars characters in Star standalone Star Trek films, and they also had you know the one movie where they all came together. I'd count that as a as a shared universe, and if they continued on doing that at least for you know a couple films and whatnot, I'd say that would be a shared universe. But if they just did it once and they didn't reference it in the next standalone films or anything, it'd be a crossover. And yeah. that's the key, isn't it? Is that is that is that they have to they have to establish a continuity, and they have to continue along, knowing that that continuity is there, and they have to stick stick with that moving forward. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like even I feel like even if um, sorry, go ahead, finish that. <laughs> no, no, go, no, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say even I feel like even if they did have that like one big crossover movie where they're all together, and then they split after that. And even if they only like kind of just referenced the fact that you know that that that, that yeah that movie happened and what happened in that movie is still you know is still it's it feels you know it's not a continuity or anything like that it's still part of the universe. I, I guess that would technically still count as it being a shared universe. It, it's a very thin line that that would be walking, but I think it counts. Let's let's jump let's let's jump let's jump back let's jump back to Marvel now because because Marvel yeah. is is in this really interesting mm -hmm. situation. Yeah, it because, is. Because because like like you said, Alex, um, uh, Star Trek. I mean, I mean, I would probably consider Star Trek. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I'm kind of, kind of split on Star Trek because because like you said, it is just kind of like its own universe. But Marvel's in this unique situation because they're kind of in the same area where they. They have their own universe, and they have all these characters that they they have their rights to, and they have these different timelines. You know, you know, hundred years in the past, hundred years in the future. They have this bigger universe, but it it it, it feels like they have different series. Series is is, is uh, whatever crossing over with each other yeah. because again, you know, they they have Iron Man, then they have Thor, then they have mm -hmm. Captain America, all different mm -hmm. characters with their own stories. Uh, with different tones, different feels, different styles, different directors, uh, but then they bring them all together in these big Avenger films, and they reference them in their other movies. So it's technically the same universe, mm -hmm. just like Star Trek, but at the same time, it's it's tonally and stylistically very different characters that they kind of bring together, and so people will call that a shared universe as opposed to just a movie universe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's true, I don't know. yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I think, well, like I said, I think originally it goes back to the source material. And, you know, you look at Marvel Comics, even in those, even when they were still graphic novels, it was still kind of like a shared universe. So if anything, you should go back to the source and just see that the fanboys 
treat that as a, a shared universe, and therefore Marvel as a studio now needs to treat all their movies like in that same shared universe, just because that is their audience. That's who they're, you know, and especially like with the younger generation today who probably haven't grown up on comics the same way that, you know, our fathers have done and our predecessors, but it's like they want to keep that, um, the essence of that still there. So that's what I'm seeing from it. Yeah. But um, oh, mind if I ask a question, if you guys, because um, yeah, this has been kind of brought up a lot. As what makes a shared universe work is the continuity of all these movies affecting the characters and in their worlds. And and that's kind of in a way, I'm I'm gonna just come out and say it. I'm kind of almost really tired of Marvel movies at this point. No offense. I mean, there are a few that do stand out as like gems, and I'm like, wow, I really like this, but. I think the problem I'm noticing now with shared universes is is that continuity factor because all these now movies that want to try to be standalone movies that want to try to be like their own Iron Man now can't necessarily do it without having to reference you know what happened in Captain America and how that's going to affect Thor now and it's like at some point does that hurt the movie? You know I I completely agree with you. Like, yeah. I, I I'm tired of it where where it Every standalone film uh, in the in the Marvel universe, I'm tired of it being where it has to be mm-hmm. a shared universe. Now it's it's like it's it's forced to. Yeah. I mean, maybe with the exception of Guardians of the Galaxy, that's you know, right. And even yeah. with Guardians of the Galaxy, but, they still have to they still have Thanos and they still reference the Infinity Stones. But if you kind of think about it, James Gunn is kind of like he was on the the side of the fence of saying. I really don't want Guardians of the Galaxy to be part of the shared universe, but Marvel now is kind of like twisting his arm, saying, yeah, you kind of have to. I mean, I already read somewhere, uh, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't like followed on the internet, but apparently in the second movie of Guardians of the Galaxies, they're going to um, uh, infiltrate Stark Enterprises now. So it's, it's like now that's all going to be affecting the storyline of those characters. Man. Well, that, that was something interesting that I was thinking about. Uh, working through the Marvel Cinematic Universe this time mm-hmm. around is is that the um, when you start off watching it, you can watch Iron Man, and then, and then if you want to, you can just watch Iron Man 2. It doesn't matter if you watch Mar- uh, The Incredible Hulk, because that's kind of in this, in this weird space where it's, it's technically in the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. But it, the, it's, it's standalone enough that it almost feels entirely separate from yeah. the rest of the movies in the series. Mm-hmm. But um, at this point, it's it's the shared universe has almost become such that each film has become a sequel to the film before it, mm-hmm. even if that wasn't a film with that character. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I mean, for, for, for example, for example, you can watch Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, and then if you weren't, if you weren't interested in any of the other Marvel films, you can't just go to Iron Man 3 you need to watch Captain America and the Avengers, and then yeah. you can watch Iron Man 3. Exactly, yeah, because uh, you don't know Tony Stark's struggle going on in Iron Man 3 or what struggle there is there. But mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's a cinematic universe that's combining series, series or films or characters mm-hmm. uh, that have their own individual films, but the own individual films are so ingrained in the cinematic universe at this point that they're mm-hmm. kind of just sequels to one another. Iron Man 3 is just a sequel to the Avengers, uh, the one exception to this that I found recently is uh, I rewatched Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. That one, if, if I'm thinking back on it, I think you could just go from Captain America: The First Avenger 
and then just watch Captain America the Winter Soldier if you wanted to, uh, yeah. because they don't really reference the Avengers or anything else like that beforehand. Um, but from what I know with Captain America Civil War, you're going to have to watch the Avengers. You have to watch Age of Ultron. You have to watch Ant-Man and all these other films before it because they're bringing all these characters together again. Yeah. Uh, which it's, I don't like it's, mind. It's, it's, just yeah. Age, it's just Avengers 3. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I mean, I don't mind um, because I, I enjoy these movies. Mm-hmm. And stylistically, each film is, uh, for the most part, tonally different that mm. – uh, they feel fresh enough. Winter Soldier is so much different from Ant-Man or from Guardians of the Galaxy or from Iron Man 3. Um, I, can, I, I can enjoy them separately as is, and I, I don't mind having to look up which film I have to watch in what order because uh, that's kind of... I, I, I was alive while they were coming out. I was watching them in theaters while they were coming out. But then, you know, some kid 50 years down the road is going to say, oh, man, I want to get into these movies. He's going to have to look up online for spreadsheets of what order to watch them in. Otherwise, he's going to be really confused. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but kind of just thinking about um, it, actually, back on it uh, for Winter Soldier, I think the reason why that movie, for me, still kind of works really well is, like, yeah, it was a second movie for Captain America. But I just remember the character introductions were done right. They kind of, and I think in a way that's what made that movie still stronger than something like, I would say, like Thor or even um, Ant-Man. Like, there's a lot of characters, like Falcon was in Ant-Man, and he didn't need, like, a a fresh introduction. He just like, oh, yeah, I'm Falcon. You should know me by now. Whereas, like, I felt like in Winter Soldier, the Russo brothers tried to treat it still like a standalone movie. It's like, yeah, if you haven't seen it or any of the other Avenger movies, we can introduce these characters and it'll fit with the story. And I think that's mm-hmm. one thing I'm noticing is that's what makes uh, a shared universe like Marvel movie or just whatever movie still a good movie is if it has those elements of this is the story. I think that was the biggest problem I saw with Age of Ultron is I think Josh Whedon had a story there that he wanted to tell, but because Marvel was it was using it as a segue for like Black Panther, for Civil War that he had to really cut out a lot of the story he wanted to tell in order to compensate for that. Mm-hmm. And I like the take that they did, like you're like exactly what you're talking about. I like the take that they did with Winter Soldier where it's a stand, you know, it's it's definitely part of the shared universe, no doubt, but it's still kind of, it, it's treated as a standalone film. And I think that's, that's what makes it work really well, mm-hmm. is that even if you haven't seen uh, the Avengers movies. If you haven't seen the rest of the shared universe films, mm-hmm. you can still watch this, still be a bit caught up, you know, mm-hmm. still understand what's going on and understand all the, who all the characters are. Of course, it helps if you've seen the Avengers and whatnot, yeah. and that that's definitely a plus if you have, um, but it's not absolutely necessary. And I think, and if, if anything, that's also what makes the, the, the filmmakers try even harder because when they come from that approach of saying... Mm-hmm. We want to try and treat like this as like if its own story and not piggyback on like other movies. I felt like that's the sin of the first um uh, uh, uh the first Avenger for uh, Captain America is that they were piggybacking in a way all the characters' introductions from like previous movies. Whereas, you know, with the Russo brothers, they didn't want to take that easy way. They said no, let's let's it's going to be harder to definitely introduce these characters in a fresh new way, but still make it work for the story and I think that is the merit of good storytelling is when you don't like take that easy road you actually take the not the high road but the the one that actually has the better you know the outcome mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah. for better for, for better or for better or for worse, mm-hmm. shared universes are kind of the in thing today. Uh, yeah. Marvel kicked it off. They did it really big. Everyone else wants to be like Marvel in that. We're getting a Hasbro yeah. cinematic universe that's been announced. <laughs> what where the hell that's gonna look like? Uh, we, <laughs> Hanna Barbera has recently announced that they're gonna do their own cinematic universe with their animated shows. Um, that'll be fun. Well, uh, that'll be fun to see only, how that turns out. Yeah, what's the only thing from uh, Hanna Barbera that's still kind of like popular today? Scooby Doo. I mean, what else is out there? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I I never watched Hanna Barbera really. <laughs> Are they gonna like create like a time machine and Scooby Doo and the gang go back in like the pre-stone eras and like have like Fred Flintstone meet with them? Like, wait, dude, no, dude, no, dude, I, I would like, that does watch, exist. <laughs> I would totally watch a a a Flintstones meets the Jetsons, which I'm sure already has happened. No, that does exist, actually. That does exist. I've I would watch that. a live action version of that. Uh, but oh god, no. <laughs> Joe, Joe, uh, the last two live action Flintstone movies were horrible. What makes you so? I, so I've heard. So I. Oh my gosh, make that the beginning of your of your Hanna Barbera cinematic universe. Wait, wait, wait. Were Flintstones Hanna Barbera? Yeah, as far as I know. Okay, okay. I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All those things blend together. We're, we're gonna get a, we're gonna get a lot of shit in the comments if we're oh wrong about gosh, this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's pretty respectful so far. We're talking about was, they, they couldn't even Google. Lots there was some guy in the comments shouting, <laughs> "Gosh, dang it!" Justin's a robot of Hanna Barbera. But something. Uh, 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 something I am looking forward to is the uh, the the King Kong and Godzilla universe, which is that that's an interesting area because it's it's crossing over technically with the uh, the, the Godzilla movie that came out a couple years ago, which wasn't meant to be a shared universe, but because they're planning things out now, that they're they're turning that into a shared universe where you know films are gonna lead into each other, you're gonna have King Kong movies and Godzilla movies, and they're gonna cross over a lot, uh, which I'm I'm looking forward to that, but. Again, it's the, it's the whole shared universe thing. They're, they're trying to make their own thing yeah. here. Here's and then the problem, the... though. With, here's the problem though with that King Kong Godzilla idea is uh, if they're thinking about trying to base it in like modern day today, that ain't gonna work. King Kong's dead. Yeah, he's a giant gorilla, and he can live. <laughs> he fell off one. the Empire State Building. Godzilla, Godzilla <laughs> gone down by having a romance with Naomi Watts. <laughs> They can do whatever the hell they want, Nathan. It's giant gorillas fighting giant radioactive lizard monsters. I'm, you, they won't get a cent from me. It's kind of convoluted as it already is, so, I mean, why not push it a little further? <laughs> but the big shared elephant in the room here is uh, DC is facing a lot of controversy right now, and I don't want to turn this into a, a DC bashing thing. No. I, 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 I wasn't a fan of... Batman v Superman. I think a lot of those problems are stem from the fact that they're trying to turn it into a shared universe. But it's it's no secret that DC is trying uh, to do their own shared universe, just, just like Marvel has, which is which is fair. I, I think it's something that they should do. That, that, that's the big thing now. That's what superheroes have become. It's mm-hmm. what it's makes sense just, just from a money making standpoint and from a storytelling standpoint. Looking at these superhero films as they are, but my, my problem is that. They're so anxious to get this off the ground that there's. I felt like they sacrificed uh, the story of Batman v Superman, which there's a very good story in there. That there are parts of Batman v Superman that I absolutely loved, but no, I felt like yeah. the movie as a whole suffered because they yeah. tried too hard to jumpstart the cinematic universe, and I just got confused about the you know the 
the, the dream sequences and supposedly the Flash coming out of a computer screen and that kind of stuff. I yeah. didn't know any of that going into the movie, so I, mm-hmm. I didn't know what, was, what the hell was going on with there, but I loved the Batman v Superman that I saw had potential in there. So here's yeah. the question is, is why is DC having trouble with this? Can they salvage it, and uh, what notes can they take from Marvel if they want to be successful in this? If, if I may... So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. I'll let you talk. I was going to say, just real quick, because um, we had talked about this earlier, in that Marvel kind of did this right, and then they, they set up all the characters first before jumping head-on, you know, head-first into the Avengers. They set up Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and then they put them all together. I think that's kind of what... You know, that, that maybe the problem that DC is running into is that sure they had the Batman movies, sure they had the you know newest Superman movie, but I, I'd say one movie really isn't enough to really just launch them into the shared universe. Kind of need a little bit more establishment of of them, you know, of other characters, to really be, be able to make it work really well. That and um, I can't, the name eludes me, but the director of Zack Snyder. Snyder. Thank you. Yes, yes. Maybe not the best choice for a, a shared universe movie. He's got a great style, and I like him. Really liked uh, Watchmen. You know, Sin City's great, but um, maybe someone that could work with multiple characters all at once. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess Sin City and Watchmen are multiple characters, mm-hmm. but in, in a shared universe sort of sense. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'm going to get my on my soapbox now. <laughs> I, I promise I won't do any DC bashing, but this is why <laughs> I feel like the Batman vs. Superman and where they're going right now with the Justice League uh, franchise mm-hmm. and their shared universe isn't going to work is because they're starting again from square one with trying to brand DC. Um, I think, you know, they tried with uh, Man of Steel, but Man of Steel just came out along the same lines as, like, just as the Dark Knight trilogy was wrapping up. And... I think people are still kind of like hooked on to that universe that Chris Nolan had created for Batman. And right now what Zack Snyder is dealing with now, and I feel bad for him because he's the one who's now kind of, I've looked at some of the credits, he's kind of being the producer for all these other ones. The Wonder Woman one, the Aquaman one. He's kind of like trying to helm this up all now. And one man really can't do it unless like you're Stan Lee, who, you know, you are Marvel. It's, It's kind of like, Zack Snyder is kind of like doing it on his own. But they're trying to basically rebrand DC. They're trying to basically give it this new look. And they're trying to do it way too fast. They're not taking the time like they did. Marvel did. Marvel had 10 years to actually make this universe work. And Zack Snyder is trying to do it in half that time, even less. Um, Also, uh, what was I going to get? Is, yeah, the reboot of that. But also, like I said, just trying to get so many characters in one movie so soon. Um, that's why I feel like is going to hurt DC the most. And what I think is going to be the one thing that may save it is its standalone movies. Um, I really hope and pray that the Wonder Woman movie works well as its own movie. That Aquaman, who's it's being directed by James Wan, the guy who did uh, you know the Insidious movies. Um, you know, he, he AI, I think, will treat the subject material really, really, really seriously. And even now with Suicide Squad coming out. For me, Suicide Squad, I know it's supposed to be based in that Zack Snyder universe, but it's almost its own thing now. And I feel which, like... Which could be a good thing for it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to be the great thing for it. I think the marketing of that movie is fantastic right now. 
And I'm just hoping that it doesn't create the same sins that Zack Snyder's made with Dawn of Justice, that they're not trying to shove all this Justice League universe in there because that's what's going to hurt it the most. And unless, like, DC makes these small adjustments of stop trying to, you know, speed up to a Justice League movie and take your time with it, let us get us to know Clark Kent, let us get to know um, this new Ben Affleck, Bruce Wayne, which, to be honest, I was... I really liked um, his portrayal of Bruce Wayne in that movie. Um, I feel like they need to take their time and they need to slow it down. You know, they're going to get there, but they're not going to get there if they basically sprint all the way and they cripple both their legs because then they're going to be dragging the rest of the way. I, I think the real problem with the DC shared universe is they're, they're just late to the party. Mm-hmm. I mean, the shared universe kind of, trend, whatever you want to call it, is in full swing now, and they're and they're just starting out, just starting to try to get that together. Mm-hmm. Marvel's had years to build that up and to put it together, and that's really been their, you know, to, to their benefit. DC hasn't had that, and they're mm-hmm. trying to, I mean, they had the Nolan Batmans, and I guess they could have continued on that. I don't know how well that would have worked in their <laughs> current idea for a shared universe, but... Um, yeah, yeah, like I said, they're just late to the party. They're trying to do it too quickly, and that's what you're mentioning. Yeah. Well, no matter the reason, the fact is that Marvel's doing something that's making money. They're here to stay, no end in sight until people start, more people start start getting, getting the, the fame, the infamous Marvel fatigue some people have been talking about. Uh, DC has an uphill battle to go. I think they can still salvage it, but uh, we'll just see where it goes from there. Lots riding on Suicide Squad right now. Mm-hmm. Same and, here. Absolutely. Yeah, shared, shared universes are here, guys. Whether, yeah. whether or not it's for the better of the film world, they're here to stay, and uh, it'll be an interesting next decade of film. <laughs> next maybe two decades of films, man. <laughs> Who knows how long? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I think that about wraps us up. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know if we figured anything out, but we certainly had a conversation. We certainly Actually, did. Yeah. We were a bunch of bunch of dicks sticking sent around talking. I don't know. I thought I thought <laughs> yeah. we were pretty respectful. You know, we were all sharing our opinion. We all gave each other a chance to talk. So you know. Yeah. Okay. There, there we go. Okay. We'll pat ourselves in the back. There we go. <laughs> all right. And that's the beautiful thing about the internet is like you know you can share your opinion and if no one likes it, well, screw them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we. We 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 gentlemen dicks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that goes out out to all our audience. If you don't like our opinion? Well, well screw you. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Go listen to another podcast. Yeah. Uh, speaking of speaking of which, by the way, uh, you can now find us on iTunes. I don't know where you guys, you listener, I don't know where you're listening to us right now, uh, but we are on YouTube, iTunes, and uh, Google Play Music. Has uh, allows podcasting now if you live in the U.S. or Canada. So apologies to people if you live outside of U.S. and Canada, but we we're on iTunes. So yeah, many ways to listen to us right now. Download us into your phone. Listen to us on the on the drive, um, or you know take a nap. Let the soothing sound of our voices lull you to sleep. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, you can find us filmilliterates.com, uh, facebook.com slash filmilliterates, and on Twitter, uh, just search filmilliterates. I'm sure we'll pop up there. Uh, and in the meantime, we'll be back.
sometime in the future. Totally I'm soon, I think. We'll try to do, I guess, a, a review of that. Yeah, after Civil mm -hmm. War, we'll do our, our, our post-mortem on Civil War and, and see, see, what, see what that looks like. Yep. Uh, in the meantime, Joe, Nate, and Alex, and we'll be back. <laughs>